two identical sweater-wearing brothers make a stand when their parents won't buy them a television set and take a vow of silence to protest. But the Toho gang won't remain silent about Yasujiro Ozu's lighthearted classic. It's episode 43. Good morning. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Toho Yaro, a Japanese film club podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Alex, and with me as always is Joey. Good morning. <laughs> and V. Ohio. <laughs> Ohio gozaimashita. <laughs> uh, and as if you couldn't glean from that little opening, um, and of course the, uh, the preamble that we insert at the beginning of every episode, uh, we covered... Um, uh, Ohio or good morning. This is the uh, second Yasujiro Ozu movie that we have covered on this podcast. Uh, the other one being an autumn afternoon. And, um, right off the bat, I can just say that you'll be seeing a lot of familiar faces. Um, mm-hmm. if you're familiar at all with Ozu's uh, other work. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, it was, uh, mid 1959 and it's a sort of a loose, uh, sort of uh, loosely based off of, um, a silent film that Ozu did, uh, called Mm. I was born, but, Mm. um, which uh, is on the criterion Blu-ray and I believe all on the criterion channel as well. So if you um, have watched this movie already, but have not watched, um, I was born, but, um, it's fun. You can probably skip it. (laughs) (laughs) I I ended up watching it. It's fine. You know, it, it falls into the same problem that most silent films fall into wherein, um, you know, you have to sort of infer a lot, Mm -hmm. um, uh, due to context and body language, because not every single thing has a text to it. Um, but uh, what did y'all think of? Oh, oh wait, we do that after the after the, <laughs> after all that, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, have have you guys experienced Good Morning or Ohio before this viewing? Uh, my only exposure to this was uh, the fact that it is well known for its farts, and I had seen a YouTube fart montage of this movie <laughs> beforehand, but that was my only real exposure to it. Yeah, same for same for with me. Yeah, I think that's maybe uh, interviews maybe taken from the Criterion special uh, features where somebody was like kind of waxing poetically about uh, Ozu's use of farts. Yep. <laughs> in the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, one I, of the um, video essays that's included on the <clears throat> Blu-ray uh, is sort of about that, about Ozu's use of humor and how Good Morning um, is sort of a uh, it's a somewhat departure from his normal dramatic fare. But yeah. Uh, I had no exposure to this movie really until, um, I was on the criterion channel and they have these talking heads where they have a actor or director, uh, talk about their journey through film. And Bill Hader is a huge nerd. And he was like, basically just gushing about mm. Ozu and this movie. Um, I had no idea about the fart jokes. Uh, As a matter of fact, I didn't know that they were farting until like halfway through the movie. I I had that thought too, actually, when I first, when I was watching it in the very first fart scene, I was like, if I hadn't seen that special feature 
going into this, I might not have made that connection that they're tapping on their heads and you hear this like <clears throat> high pitched whistle sound effect and that that means like that they're farting. Yeah, it's a very yeah. fake like sound. <laughs> uh, when I was writing down my notes, I wrote down, look up forehead pressing. Like, is that a thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I had to I had to look that up. Um um, and it did it didn't do me any good because once I found out that they're farting, I was like, oh, and and the, and the kid who kept pooping his pants, um, <laughs> yeah, I know, which I, I also didn't get. Like w- when I watched it a second time, everything clicked a lot, mm. a lot better for me. Oh yeah, I got that immediately, um, and it was just like. But, uh, before we get into it, let's talk a little bit about the cast of the movie. A um, lot to talk about here. So. Um, uh, I'm going by the the billing that I saw on on Wikipedia. <laughs> okay. Uh, Keiji uh, uh, Sada uh, is Heichiro Fukui. Uh, he's the English teacher slash translator. Mm. Um, Tohoyaro uh, fans will remember him from an autumn afternoon. Um, and uh, let's see the uh, and his uh, I would say love interest uh, Yoshiko Kuga, um, who plays Setsuko Arita. Um, she. Uh, you can look for her in Kurosawa's Drunken Angel, um, which is a Kurosawa Yakuza film, uh, which is something we should cover at some point, and uh, Ozu's Equinox Flower, and um, married to Toho Yaro alum Akihito Hirata, oh. aka, yeah, Dr. Serizawa, amongst other Godzilla roles. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, Godzilla superstar. Um, speaking of superstars, Chishiryu, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Keitaro uh, Hayashi, and um, as if uh, Chishiryu <clears throat> needs no introduction at this point, um, obviously we've seen him in the funeral as far and as as well as every Torasan movie that mm-hmm. there is. <laughs> um, but uh, a distinction that I don't know if we covered in our um, autumn afternoon episode is that uh, he has been in fifty-two of. Uh, the 54 of Ozu's films, hmm. including I Was Born But, the film that Ohio is oh. based off. Yep. Yeah. Something I discovered uh, researching this go-round is that Ozu has always been casting uh, Chishi Ryu as like an old man in his roles, even <laughs> during his like silent film era when Chishi Ryu was like in his 30s or something. Oh, man, so, he just yeah. has that old man energy. I was um, going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and apparently he's got kind of a rural dialect or accent uh, with the way he speaks that he never got rid of, which was uh, made his early career tough, but helped uh, establish him as like this kind of like folksy, trustworthy dad type. Oh. Yeah. Mm. There's a moment in this movie where he says like, Komata, like, like these, uh, this, this so much trouble. And that's basically his like catchphrase in the Taurus on uh, movies, so it was kind of like <laughs> fun <laughs> uh, to hear him say that. I love that. Uh, so playing the parts of Tamiko Hayashi and um, Kikue Haraguchi are uh, Kuniko Miyake and Haruko Sugimura, and the reason I'm lumping them together is because they are um, uh, some of Ozu's favorites. Um, uh, to they've been in all, all mess of Ozu films. Uh, Kuniko Miyake has been in Tokyo Story, Flavor of Green Tea of Rice, and uh, the aforementioned Autumn Afternoon. And Haruko Sugimura is um, uh, we would qu- uh, classify as a Toho Yaro alum because she's also been in Kwaidan, Autumn Afternoon, and Red Beard. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I want to, uh, even though uh, his, uh, see, we have Shitara Koji as Minoru Hayashi, the older brother, and the younger brother, the the uh, the popular younger brother, Isamu Hayashi, is played by uh, Ma- uh, Masahiko Shimazu, who um, was in uh, Floating Weeds, End of Summer, both Ozu films, and Kurosawa's High and Low. So look for him oh. when you see those. Uh not on Wiki, not on um, Wikipedia's uh, cast list, but I looked her up because I thought that she was incredible. Uh, Eiko Miyoshi as Mitsue Haraguchi, the grandma with the knife. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, she has had an impressive, like, really, really storied career, like a really impressive twenty-year career from 1941 until her death in 1963. So she has played many roles. Um, uh, She's uh she's the lady in lady in waiting uh in the hidden fortress if uh, anybody remembers that particular mm. character. And um before we move on I do want to talk a little bit about um what I found out about this guy Taiji Tonoyama who played uh the salesman the door to door salesman who's selling pencils uh Oh yeah. And um sharpening them with his uh with with his um his threatening knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, he, uh, he's a character actor and, um, he's had like a pretty long storied career playing bit parts, um, from like 1947 to, um, the late eighties. And, uh, the fun thing about this is that, uh, he wrote a series of semi-autobiographical essays, um, uh, under the title Sanman Yaksha, which means third rate actor. Mm. Um, and, uh. Uh, I just thought that was a kind of an interesting thing. Um, he was, uh, moreover, he was an essayist and, um, he helped form the film company, uh, Kindai Ega Kyokai with, uh, hmm. uh, Kaneto Shindo and Kozoburo Yoshimura. So interesting. Yeah. I, I thought it was kind of neat that he had this little bit part and turns out that's his entire career is just playing bit parts, which is. <laughs> yeah. More and more, I get very excited about character actors cause they're, often in even more movies than the stars and they're usually very fun to watch. So yeah, keep an eye out for him when it, when it comes to, you know, the movies that we cover, I like adding those particular actors on here. It sort of reminds me of whenever somebody points out that Clint Howard is in a movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so right. Uh, here we go. Um, loosely the, uh, Ohio is, um, it's a film that takes place over several days in uh, suburban Tokyo. And um, uh, right off the bat, like the characters that we are introduced to all live in the same like um, apartment complex, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, And in essence, they sort of are like a big family, even though they're not related. Um, Yeah. At first I was kind of like, okay, who lives with who exactly? And Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it, it wasn't very clear to me the first time I watched it, but the second time was, um, yeah, it, it was like, oh, yes, okay, there it is. Um, so uh, the, the two main, uh, the two main uh, characters that we follow on the, on the kids' side, of course, are Minoru and Isamu, the um, Hayashi brothers. And um, uh, I guess it helps to point out that there are a couple different subplots in this movie. Um, 
the first one that we're sort of introduced to is um, what I call the Obasan whodunit. Um, <laughs> wherein, yeah. Uh, yeah, wherein um, everyone in the neighborhood, um, every, every woman in the neighborhood believes that Mrs. Hayashi, the, um, the, she's the treasure, but she's also the mother of the two boys. Um, uh, they, uh, they believe that she's given her uh, all the dues to the chairwoman who's um, Mrs. Haraguchi, who is, who is the, uh, I, I guess the, the lead, the de facto leader of the pack. She's the one who's sort of nosing around. Um, but of course she denies it and says she hasn't gotten the money. And of course they all gossip among themselves, um, as to, you know, who could have done this, who could have taken the money. And, um, then they think to herself, well, Mrs. Haraguchi bought a washing machine. So maybe she took the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Later, um, it turns out that um, she did actually hand the money to um, Haraguchi's mother, um, uh, and and she and uh, Haraguchi's mother, it was um, uh, the aforementioned grandma with a with a knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she realized, oh yeah, well I'm old, I forgot those things. <laughs> she just like had it in a drawer or something. So we're following the uh, the two boys, the two brothers, uh, over to their neighbor's house to uh watch sumo on a, a television at this point in time televisions are relatively new um but all the neighborhood boys are over there uh shirking their daily responsibilities um most notably going to english class and um of course they'll get in trouble and eventually go to english class um and uh their english teacher is also a, a translator by trade and um uh, the, I guess the third subplot of this, of this film is, um, uh, the Hayashi brothers aunt, um, she is, re- she's requesting some, uh, some translations from, uh, from Mr. Fukui and, uh, and that's sort of a running thing throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, did I miss where it's established firmly that she's their aunt? I couldn't tell if she was an aunt or an older sister. Yeah, you same. know that's interesting. Yeah, because I think they they call her aunt, right? Okay. In the subtitles, I must have but, must not remembered that or missed it when it happened. But it's very possible that she is the sister. Yeah, them. I was like doing the math, and uh, Chishi Ryu's character is kind of older. Um, yeah, because they he's got a work friend asking him about retirement and stuff. And it's plausible that he had like one kid pre-war and then had these two other two, had his two sons post-war. Yeah. So, uh, that's something I didn't actively look into. <laughs> um, probably should have, but didn't, uh, either way, um, they, they're interested in each other. Let's mm-hmm. just say that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, when they, uh, they go back home, Minori and Samu like, like, uh, boys do uh they pull the uh can we have a pool dad can we have a pool dad can we have a pool dad except it's um <laughs> it's about a tv set um but uh they but you know their mother uh refuses over and over and when um uh their father chishiru comes home um like they kind of they get all up in his grill and they throw tantrums and um like and uh, they say that uh, you know adults always engage in um, in 
and like pointless uh, greetings like Ohio and and Kondama and um and uh it's it's just used for social lubrication as opposed to like saying exactly what they're thinking mm-hmm. you know um you know it's sort of sort of going on a like old people these days uh type yeah. rant. um and uh when they go to their room uh, the two brothers decide that they're going to uh go on strike um and not talk at all um to any adults until uh well uh just as uh, just to make a point about all this um and uh mrs haraguchi of course comes into play when um isamu is walking uh walking down the street and she compliments him on his scarf and he doesn't say anything and of course that gets her all up in arms and a whole other gossip train is starting uh who thinks that um uh this is all about um, their mother, Mrs. Hayashi, getting revenge um, over that misunderstanding about the dues, and uh, <laughs> and um, uh, pretty soon er- all the obasan in the general area think that Mrs. Hayashi is um, is a vengeful person, and they're like, "Oh, we better return all the stuff that we borrowed from her." Um, so uh, I guess I didn't mention this at all because it's not plot important, really, but. Uh, but all the boys have this thing. We mentioned this earlier, uh, you know, in in the podcast about farting, about mm-hmm. pressing foreheads, pressing each other's foreheads, and uh, that causing them to go, um, which is you know what what uh, Ozzy. <laughs> it's a thing. good imitation of the sound effect that they used. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty accurate. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of like um, uh, it, 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 you mean like take like when a guitar string breaks almost like <laughs> or something. I don't know. Yeah. Very very cartoony sound. Um. So, the, so the boys they say that oh yeah we eat potatoes but we also eat pumice uh, uh, pumice powder um, and that helps us fart. Um, so that's over the course of of uh, of the movie you see them sort of grinding up uh, pumice as as they're uh, sort of hanging out. Um, so uh, the brothers continue their strike in school, um, which leads to some very funny scenes. Uh, where you know uh, Isama knows the answer, but he can't say um, because mm-hmm. he's made this <laughs> strike. Um, he holds up this little okay symbol. Yeah, like that's that symbol like, that they agreed amongst each other means like if they give each other the okay, they can talk to each other. But they yeah yeah. And, and since the adults don't know what this means, <laughs> they're just like what? <laughs> yeah, but everyone's um, pretty lenient about it. It's interesting. Um, yeah everybody was very like there isn't a whole lot of like really mean parents or mean adults in this movie mm -hmm. i did notice this everybody sort of like humors the children Mm -hmm. um so uh they even i mean even so even their english teacher who um who they're pretty cool with they they do the strike against him um and uh and then he uh, kind of visits to find out, uh, um, you know, why they've they've gone on strike. And at this point, um, you know, the the two boys had to um, forego their lunch because the teacher said, "Don't forget to tell your parents to give you lunch money tomorrow." Mm-hmm. Uh, 
They in a hilarious scene where they try to pantomime, give us lunch money for tomorrow. Nobody can understand <laughs> what they are saying at all. Um, so they are uh, super hungry the next day and steal a tea kettle and <laughs> a big old um, rice cooker. Yeah, a, a rice cooker. And um, and then they're eating it outside Torasan style and are caught by a cop. Um, and eventually their English teacher finds them outside of a uh, outside of a station um watching television so uh when they get home uh the boys of course give up their silent strike because their parents had bought a television um <laughs> to support an uh a neighbor and um uh at the very end of the movie the english teacher and uh and their aunt slash sister i can't Say the ant for now on. Sure, um, that's fine. Yeah, they they of course uh, have this little social lubricant. This good morning, how is the weather? Instead of saying how they really feel about each other, which uh, but I think it is inferred that they have a budding romance at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I didn't mention this earlier either because it's a little fun vignette. But the grandma with the knife. Um, that uh, the door-to-door salesman is coming uh, in the midst of all this Obasan gossip, trying to peddle his wares. And um, uh, when they won't buy anything, he sort of uh, sh- uh, threatens them with a knife ever so slightly by saying, oh, well, look at this knife. It can really sharpen pencils. But um, yeah, Mrs. Haraguchi um, grabs her mother, who uh, shows the guy a bigger knife. It's, it's essentially that th- that's not a knife, this is a knife. Yeah, uh, she's like, oh, I'll get my own knife, and it's like way yeah. bigger, and she's definitely like flashing it at him in a yeah. pretty great way. Yeah. So that's basically the movie. Um, it's, uh, it like, like you know, Ozu, it's it's very slice-of-life-y, you know? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but there is a point to all of it. Um, anyway, what did you all think of Ohio? I absolutely loved this movie. Um, I laughed out loud a number of times. Yeah. Um, and Ozu stuff, I, I went over my like revelation of Ozu, uh, the last movie of his that we did. But like, even though it's kind of dry at points, uh, the humor when it does hit is impeccable. And th- even during the dry points, the way he frames his shots and just like the labyrinthine look of this movie, looking through multiple doors through the, into other people's houses. Yes. And the way all the conversations are framed is just like so visually interesting and captivating that I don't really mind that there's not much going on sometimes scene to scene. Yeah. I thought it was really fun too. Um, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I thought a thing that was kind of cool about it was that with it's like, focus on domestic life it basically completely focuses on women and children and most of the adult men are pretty passive or absent in it um when a lot of times in movies from this time period it's kind of flipped uh the other way around um ozu i still kind of have some issues with like i find his like i think that the shots are really beautifully composed and I think the ideas are really interesting, but I still find his style kind of a little too stiff and Mm -hmm. like emotionally distancing 
and I kind of have a hard time a little bit connecting with the characters or feeling their connections with each other a little bit. Um, but that said, I did also laugh a lot uh, out loud at this and thought it was pretty fun and uh, funny and interesting. Um, what did you think, Alex? Yeah, I liked it a whole lot. Um, I really liked it a lot better the second time I watched it, too. Um after sort of understanding everybody's relationships and stuff. I, I do agree with you about Ozu's, uh, uh, about his directorial style. Um, but I also think that it's a wonderful window into Japanese culture of that era. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the austerity of everybody, um, versus, you know, a, uh, when you go to a play, a, a um, you know, when you watch a movie that is centered around, you know, hard boiled types, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's different mm -hmm. and I think it has its place. And, uh, I am really happy that Ozu has had such a wide, um, wide array of film under his belt just because uh, like when, when you, have a director who is the master of his craft like that you really want them to have produced everything they possibly could mm. and the fact that he has 54 films under his belt is, is well it's daunting for somebody who wants to watch all of those films but it's also uh i think it also speaks volumes to uh you know to his career but i did um i think i read this or i heard this but uh, uh ozu is um is celebrated a lot more than he is rewatched in Japan. Mm. That's interesting. So I think, I think that's part of it, right? Like his, um, his movies are like, uh, paintings depicting life in Japan at that time as, mm -hmm. as accurate as, as possible. Um, but I liked it a whole lot. The, I thought it was very funny. Um, I loved the little kid. Um, yeah, the little yeah. brother is so yeah. good. Uh, Isamu, yeah. A, a really funny thing uh, that I loved that he did. Well, there's a few things, but yeah. like I love at the very end after they sort of get their victory that he like pulls out a hula hoop and just starts like, <laughs> yep, victory hula hooping. It's it's pretty great. Um, I love when he says "I love you" when when he leaves. Yeah, what a great way yep. to like instantly endear you to a character is just have him like sweetly say, I love you anytime anybody's like leaving or they're leaving. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the essays that I, I watched, uh, I really recommend you guys watch these essays because they're very interesting. But uh, they, it's mentioned that like, so, so this movie is basically about communication, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and when I was watching it, I kept writing down all the different ways that these people communicate with each other. They have the women's gossip, the farts, the, the you know, quote unquote, empty greetings, the silence, communicating through the silence and communicating through English. And the, uh, it's, um, they posited in this, in this, um, in this video essay that the greetings and the you know, and the English, uh, that, you know, Isama says, he says, I love you, but he doesn't really necessarily know what that means exactly. It's just mm -hmm. a means of social lubrication, a, mm. a, a empty, like an empty, you know, greeting, a filler, uh, a piece of filler, so to speak, Sim similar to what the kids were complaining of, that the adults do, which I thought was like, I yeah. thought that was a super interesting way to look at that. 
the uh, the fart thing also comes from that video essay where he talks about the the farting between the young boys is their own kind of like mm-hmm. empty communication that they yes. do. <laughs> it's um, true. But I think that the like best thematic trick that this film does, and it it doesn't really come down on whether or not like that social lubrication is good or bad. It's just kind of like observing these human phenomenon, but the only direct and concise uh, interpersonal communication that goes on in this whole film is the kids demanding the TV. (laughs) They're very clear exactly about what they want. They state it repeatedly and uh, in the end they do get what they want, but everything else is either these pleasantries or this like arcane miscommunication uh, through gossip. Mm-hmm. And like one of the best punchlines throughout the movie to me was when the, the aunt and the, the English tutor meet up at the train station and like it's, it's clear at this point that they like have feelings for each other and all they can do is like talk about the weather talk and make this meaningless small talk. I laughed so hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think another interesting uh, theme that I was like picking up on a lot is this sort of like conflict between older and younger generations. Mm-hmm. And a thing that I thought was really interesting and kind of took me by surprise a little bit is that they do end up getting that TV in the end, like without even much of a big like to do about it. And it's kind of like, Hey, they got their way. And it's like, kind of like the, the young generation and the old generation might not uh, see eye to eye on a lot of things, but the young generation are the one who are going to kind of, ultimately get what they want because they're taking over you know (laughs) yeah uh one thing that ozu is really really great at that like i I noticed in an autumn afternoon is i love his scenes of guys drinking at bars Mm. um the one in this one uh, the one in this movie in particular i thought was really interesting just because you know uh, chichiri is talking about like how uh you know oh tv's gonna you know destroy our culture yeah. You know, it's going to make idiots out of, um, out of, uh, you know, X million people, which is how many people were in Japan at the time. Like, it, it's funny that you mentioned that, like, you know, that difference, that conflict between the younger and older generation and how that, like, is still prevalent today. Like, it's such a, it's, it's a universal, it's a universal thing. But, but there's something about Ozu doing those scenes, those, those bar scenes that, I don't know that I really, I really, really enjoy. You really get to be with these guys at the bar. Yeah, totally. And and I think it's how he shoots it. So V, you you mentioned earlier uh, the um, like how the camera is basically it's looking through a window, like through, I mean, like through each through each uh, each house's window, right? Like I I there's there's something about that, right? That that the way he shoots all of these scenes, it makes you feel like you're in the same room with these, with these people. And, and it, it's not just the same shot either. You, you wonder where these cameras are positioned all the time. And this is, this is actually a, something I have a lot of trouble with when it comes to movies. Like, why is that? How, how could they fit a camera there? Like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. When you get down to the same level as everybody else, it becomes more engaging, I think. Yeah, I think both the angle of the shot and how like elaborate all of the set dressing is that these places just seem so like real and lived in. 
yeah, just in general, get a really good sense of place uh, in this movie. So uh, let's move to our favorite parts of the movie. Um, uh, v? Uh, my favorite part is probably the triumph of when they finally get the TV. Mm-hmm. And they run excitedly back to their room and they're dancing around and then their dad comes around the corner and tells them to like calm down or he'll return it. And then <laughs> Isamu is just instantly like, or for, uh, the older brother turns around and like goes back to sitting quietly. And Isamu is just like, he's lying. I can see it in his face. He's smiling and is just like got this triumphant grin on his face and is still super excited. And after that is, uh, Chishiryu like, pretends to be really gruff and like marches out of the room. And that's when Isamu goes and gets his victory hula hoop (laughs) (laughs) and just that whole exchange. And like Chishu Ryu as their dad trying to like put on a stern face and, and be serious and Isamu seeing right through it. And then he just kind of like exaggeratedly plays along after that is like, Joe, you mentioned that everything feels a little stiff, but like that, that moment felt so warm and like familial to me. I really enjoyed it. Uh, How about you, Joey? Uh, Yeah, I I wanted to talk about something that I was kind of like really enjoying taking in was just the like whole color palette of this movie. Mm. Um, It just is speaking of warm, everything is kind of these warm browns and reds and uh, with the like one exception being the kids have these like rainbow colored, super bright, almost like neon rainbow or pastel, I should say, like rainbow colored shelves uh, in their bedroom that um, <laughs> that you see every once in a while. And and even in some shots, though, they've got two of them, so they're still pretty well balanced. But um, it was a thing I, I thought about it a lot. And I was like, man, this is such a good, like very carefully um, put together uh, color palette. But a thing that it also made me think about is kind of comparing um, when uh, thinking about Kurosawa and Kurosawa and Ozu are obviously very, very different directors. And Kurosawa like held on to black and white for a very long time. And when he finally uh, decided to make movies in color, he was like, "Okay, I'm going to use color in, you know, the most bold ways possible. And so you get stuff like Ron and Kagemusha and stuff that are like insanely colorful and stuff whereas this almost feels like Ozu was like yeah I'll do color but it's still gonna kind of look like a black and white movie (laughs) 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 Uh, but and I don't I don't mean that to like slam him I just mean it to sort of be like it's a very different uh approach and being kind of like everything is very mellow but warm and and very kind of pleasing looking uh so that was the thing I really enjoyed uh about the movie yeah I think this is Ozu's second film ever in color um and i think part of it is whatever color processing he is Mm -hmm. using just gives it that really warm tone uh that i i like a lot but there there is a lot of intentionality still to where he's putting those like pops of red and things um but yeah this was still uh, japan's first color film was at some point in the 1950s and this was still pretty new Mm mm-hmm in 1959 for the for directors to be working in color there mm-hmm. it's it's funny you, you mentioned that um the the whole color thing and and uh and v, you are absolutely right um uh i think this is his uh second 
um, uh, color film. First one being uh, uh, Equinox Flower. Um, something that I didn't notice until the second time around is that there are certain shots where you see little pops of red um, in one shot, and then you go to the next shot, and there is a pop of red in the same sort of space, hmm. occupying that same space, which is like what a cool thing to do, like experimenting with color at the time, you know, at this time where like, you know, it's, it's not a, a super common thing. Yeah. yeah I like definitely I said, remember oh, a, uh, a, a sequence with, I think it's the ant like wearing like a red dress or red coat or something. And she's like walking down this sort of brown bland hallway and you just like, can't keep your eyes off of her because she stands out so brightly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, V, did you have something to say? Yeah, yeah. yeah I was just going to say it's it's another one of those like aspects of his shot composition where he is always doing stuff to give visual interest, even if things aren't moving and the things aren't really going anywhere with the plot. It just keeps you engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I love uh, this isn't like my favorite part or anything, but I do love like the final shot of the movie where the underwear is hanging up oh yeah and you see the tower in the background and the tower is like one of the first things you see in at the beginning of the movie Mm. so i think it's it's a cool little bookend uh yeah um so uh favorite part god there are a lot of really great parts in this movie that uh i i want to i want to say it's like the grandma bit with the salesman or um there is a bit where uh, the kids talk about the one kid's dad who's really good at farting. <laughs> and then you see him like, well, there's a, a whole bunch of bits with this guy the where dog, he's doing right? his, yeah. And he's, do, yeah, he's doing his calisthenics and, mm-hmm. um, and he farts every time he like bends over <laughs> or, um, or, or he farts and then the wife comes in and she's like, did you say something? <laughs> like, that's it's such a and uh one of the kids says well he works for the gas company after all and i thought that was a very <laughs> clever joke for the time yeah. yeah i laughed really hard yeah at that like i think it's like i'm not gonna say you know it's sophomore work to find you know my favorite part of this movie being the fart jokes but uh, those are very good fart jokes mm-hmm. um this the farting the whole farting subplot to me i thought was very entertaining especially up to the point where um where uh, the mother was like, "God, there's, I, I might, be, it looks like there's rats gnawing on my on my pumice. I guess I'll put some rat poison on it." And um, as soon as she said that, I was like, "Oh God, my face turned <laughs> white." I'm like, "This movie's gonna go dark." Yeah, like I was having such a great time. Why are you doing this? And then they immediately cut to the kids being like, "Let's not eat that pumice anymore." And I was oh kind of like, God. "Okay, well, that's a relief." It does seem like. I, I was very much bracing for a very dramatic turn as well. Yeah. That God, brief that was, moment of peril. That was a close one. Like, yeah. So it, for me, it's a tie between the, the little, the, just the the kids being uh, inspired by their dad who, um, who's, a, who's a very good farter. Um, <laughs> which by the way is a sort of a weird subplot not the farting bit but um but kids being enamored by by their father um that's i was born but like that's sort of what it's about mm. um like that's that's one of the major uh the major focuses in that in that in that movie um so yeah i guess i guess that's probably uh 
that's that's probably my my favorite part. Uh, although I do I do enjoy the um, the chain reaction that everything has. How the kids' actions are affecting you know the gossip train as well. Um, they just sort of like add some fuel to that fire. Yeah, and it it shows what happens when that social lubrication breaks down. All of a sudden, people think there's something terribly wrong going on, and somebody is angry. Yeah, even though it's completely unrelated, and how even though it's this small kind of meaningless thing, it actually means a lot in its own way. Now, this is a question for the both of you. Do you think that that sort of um, that that that's a, a cultural thing? Or do you think that that's something that could be um, sort of expounded upon in in like our culture, like not saying hello to somebody, but I continuing. think it totally applies to our yeah. culture as well. And and to the point where like talking about the weather is kind of a cliche for boring small talk. Yeah. You know? And like there are places where like you don't know the people you're interacting with, but still like day to day, anybody that you're pretty close with, if you don't even if you don't give somebody a like cursory hello, uh, then like they're going to assume that there's something up. I don't think it's specifically cultural and especially not in like, given the, the time this was made in, like you think about 1959 America, you're definitely like have people living in, in neighborhoods and stuff where it would be the talk of the town. If somebody didn't say hi to their neighbor when they <laughs> walked out and went on their way to work. That's true. Uh, something I didn't think about until uh, Bethany brought it up is, um, yeah, I was telling her about this movie and like, oh yeah, this kid's really cute. He says, I love you. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, like they're learning English. I'm like, well, yeah, it's 1959. But I also, that also, like, I've never really looked this up, but like at what point did um, Japan start learning English um, like at a young age? I mean, they were in, under U.S. occupation immediately post-war. I would imagine that that started pretty soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I don't know off the top of my head. I guess I didn't think about that part. <laughs> um, I just kept thinking about in uh, 20th Century Boys how it's early 60s and and they invoke this as a pen several mm -hmm. times. Yeah, the boy practicing his English in this also had a pretty, this is a pen, uh, cadence to it. Yeah. This is a dog. That is not a cat. And I love how he's just sort of like looking, like keeping an eye <laughs> on his mom as he's saying these things, as he's going out the door. Oh God. Anyway. Uh, so, um, the Takashi Shimura award, um, Takashi Shimura Award. I have my um, my nominee, but I would like to hear from the two of you first to see if we're on the same page. Joey, I kind of figured it would go two one of two ways, or be a tie between the grandma with the knife and the littlest kid. And I think I have settled on the littlest kid is really the one that I uh, just was delighted anytime he was on screen and was kind of. The thing I love about him is he kind of looks like an old man. Like he has a very like <laughs> uh, kind of grumpy, but like dignified demeanor, but he has a very high pitched voice and he's still very like sweet uh, too. So I don't know. I, I get, I get a lot out of that kid. <laughs> no, Simon is great. His performances are great. His comedic timing is somehow impeccable. Like he's a better actor than the older brother is. Mm. It's, yeah. He is just a delight anytime he's doing anything. 
Uh, so, just watching how messily he eats that rice when they steal everything and then drinking tea out of his hand and being like, this is messy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I love that they thought to steal uh, two things that need silverware, uh, that need like <laughs> cups and plates, but they didn't bring those. So they just have to pour tea into their hands, which I assume it wasn't that hot. But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. does that mean that he's your choice as well, V, or did you have anyone else? Yeah, no, that? he is definitely my choice. Wow. Okay. Well, I wrote, I wrote down the grandma. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's great. Uh, yeah, she is. She's really good. I, um, she just sort of came out of nowhere. Uh, but God, <laughs> you can't not go free Samu there. He is so cute. I love you. And, and you're right about him being a better actor than the other brother. Like it's not, not, not that it's a bad thing, but he, he carries himself uh, very professionally as an actor, I think. Um, it kept making me think of one of the Gamera movies. Uh, there's a running bit on MST3K where they think he looks like a, 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 one of the kids looks like, um, oh gosh, an actor that I can't like pull. But they always, anytime he shows up on screen, they go, Martha. And I was just thinking that every time that that kid was on screen. Anyway. <laughs> Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about the grandma and the salesman scene. Uh, my favorite part of that aside, well, my, the first time I laughed pretty hard was when she comes back with the giant kitchen knife and is just kind of waving it around <laughs> threateningly. Uh, but the point at which after he gives up and leaves, uh, she's like, he forgot to take his pencil. Like she had conned him out of this thing. Yeah. Um, but also, I will say that uh, him showing up did remind me of Torasan, mm -hmm. like the kind of hapless salesman that that Tora tends to be. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I you know, I'm glad. Yeah. Um, when I was thinking about choosing things to talk about for my favorite parts, the grandma scene was definitely uh, the scene that I was leaning towards choosing. And I kind of assumed either of you were going to pick it, too. So I. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad that we get a chance to talk about it because that scene was just so funny and definitely stands out. Uh, so during that whole stuff with the grandma, the um, so uh, Mrs. Haraguchi mentions uh, that like she mentioned something to the effect of, you know, we'll be taking her to, you know, Mount Narayama at some point. Where old people go to die, I think is yeah. the actual line. Yes. So I, um, I Googled Mount, uh, Narayama and I couldn't find, uh, anything like, like folklore about it, but, uh, the Ballad of Narayama, uh, is, um, well, it's a, it's a period film. There's, there's two period films. Um, there's one from 1958 and then there's a remake in 83. Um, but, uh, it's a, um, it's based on a novella and uh, it's, it's about the practice of Obaste where elderly people are carried to a mountain and abandoned to die. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, as far as cultural relevance goes um, that is a reference to a novella that came out um, mm. like four years before the movie. Interesting. Oh, wow. So yeah, I, I thought that was super interesting, like a contemporary sort of a contemporary reference versus a, uh, I mean, un unless I am completely wrong about this, sure. Um, uh, a uh, you know, a pretty contemporary reference. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. I also love that once her daughter goes away, uh, or once 
once the young woman goes away, she sits there muttering to herself about how, like, just like I can't believe how terrible she was and she wants to treat me like this. Just kind of like, I know what's going on here. She, she's dumb. Yeah, I really appreciate everything about her personality. Yeah, so <laughs> she's a great runner up. Uh, but when, look, when you have a cute little kid uh, who says I love you in English, um, you can't you can't go wrong there. Um, Shall uh, we dance? Oh, just real quick. Speaking oh. of contemporary references, I want to throw out that in the the um, classroom scene, uh, Gecko Kamen, the Moonlight Mask is uh, referenced, mm-hmm. which is oh, yeah. the TV like Japan's first TV tokusatsu uh, hero. So I, I got a little ding off of that. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you didn't chalk that up under your favorite parts, Joey. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, I just just uh, Googled that real quick. It looks like that TV show debuted in 1958. So that was right right very, then. Well, another very reference. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, that, there we go. I love I love that we do this on this podcast where we have to where we where we go back and see uh, exactly when did Go Ranger come out? When did uh, Gecko Common come out? <laughs> um, and that and that's fresh in my mind because I watched this uh, story again the other day. Oh, nice. Um, so shall we dance? Uh, can this movie be remade? I think this is a resounding yes. Like, I, yeah. I was thinking about this segment when you were asking earlier about whether or not you think that the pleasantries thing like crosses cultures. And while I was watching this movie, I was thinking about this and thinking about how, you know, not necessarily kids begging for a TV might apply these days. But I definitely still had vivid, like visceral kind of memories of begging my parents for things and them being like, no, we can't afford it, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's super relatable. Um, Honestly, the thing that popped into my mind is not like a contemporary remake or not a modern remake, but like contemporary American media probably telling very similar stories. Um, Like I'm the, I would not be surprised if there's like an episode of the Andy Griffith show or something that has the same plot. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned Bart and Lisa's like, we have a cool dad (laughs) uh, earlier. I feel like a lot of uh, uh, the basic plot and a lot of the themes could translate really well, but uh, nothing really jumped out as being like, oh, I want to see these actors or this modern director working on it. Um, but yeah, it just feels like such a comfortable and knowable story. Yeah. Um, I uh, I don't think there is a period of time in which this movie couldn't be like redone Mm -hmm. just because of how rapid technology evolves, uh, especially in the last 20 years. Um, and there's always going to be somebody who's older, who is dismissive of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually thinking the other day how I used to be like a super tech head. And, um, when I, uh, I ended up getting an Apple watch for Christmas a few years ago. And beforehand I was like, what am I going to do with this thing? Like, mm-hmm. what, what am I going to do with a watch? I have a phone. Like I can just do that. And I don't know how I've lived without it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm only, you know, I'm only 34 and I'm going to be getting to this point where at some point where 
I'm going to be Chishiryu in a bar saying, oh, insert technological thing here is going to make idiots out of this entire country. And that scares me a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so the fact that, and the technology thing aside, uh, going on social strike, um, like even now you could make a movie about people not answering their texts or, or Facebook messages or something like that. And that's like already a thing that people are like, like it's, it's permeated our culture so much where people know like, Oh crap, she, she read my message. Right. Yeah. Leaving somebody on read is, is like a huge catastrophic thing. Yeah. So you could even take it, you know, you, you could even take it that far. Um, I feel like this is such a universal uh, concept that I'm, I'm actually sort of surprised that, um, that somebody hasn't taken a shot at, at doing this. Um, but I guess, you know, Marvel runs the world now. So I think one of the actual barriers to remaking this in modern times is that, uh, it was shocking to me when we got to the end of the movie and the kids got what they wanted and there was no like (laughs) moral lesson or anything. They like had this strike and which culminated in them like, stealing food from their parents' house and running away. And then they're rewarded for it because like, Oh, they're just being kids. We should do something nice for them. Yeah. And like, I don't think that would fly in today's society because like everything has to be earned. Right. Yeah. No, that was very surprising to me. Um, well this movie, like I, I think, uh, when I, when I mentioned earlier that, you know, the adults aren't stern at all. They don't seem to be punishing the kids very much. Um, with the exception of Ms. Mrs. Haraguchi, who doesn't give her son underwear. Um, the, uh, it's almost like a Nickelodeon movie where it's like, oh yeah, this is for the kids. Like this movie is like, it, yeah, kids win. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. like the kids are, well, not only do they get the TV in the end, but they're also completely right about adults, you know, uh, you know, saying these, uh, not saying what they mean and instead saying good morning, good afternoon. How is the weather, uh, as exemplified at the end of the movie with, um, with Fukui and, and, and the aunt, like how there's, you know, they're not really saying what their feelings are. It's almost like this movie is about, listen to your kids. They're a lot smarter than you think. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I, if you look at it at that lens, you know, like definitely, yeah, this is a movie for kids by kids. <laughs> Harriet the, Spy. the idea that that children, children's naivete about the world work, how the world works, actually gives them an outsider way to examine those things that adults don't have. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I that probably does it for for Ohio. Unless you guys have any lingering thoughts. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, great. Well, um, well, what do we have coming up next? Next, uh, we are going to be talking about Torasan's Forget Me Not, a uh, 1973 uh, film uh, in the Torasan series. It's the 11th film. And as I mentioned in our uh, mini episode previous to this, this is the uh, introduction of Lily, who is a reoccurring character in the series. And um, yeah, and I think it'll be good to establish her character so that we can kind of revisit um, some of my very favorite movies, which feature her uh, later in uh, in the podcast sometime. 
Um, this movie is a little harder to see than Ohio, which is on uh, Good Morning. That that's on uh, Criterion Channel. But uh, if you happen to be in Hawaii and have the Nippon Golden Network, uh, it's running uh, in April this month uh, with English subtitles. So uh, give it a, sh- a watch if if you can. Um, yeah, and um, and uh, that's and that's hopefully uh, coming out soon. I think we're going to try to do three episodes this month. So keep an eye out for that. You can listen to our mini episode before this for details on that. Uh, and uh, where can people find you, Alex? Well, you can always find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm a slave to it. Uh, at dude exclamation, all one word. You can listen to me every week on the One Piece podcast. And also, um, of course, on this particular podcast. Uh, how about you, V? Where can people find you? People can find me at Friska Chat on Twitter, V-R-I-S-K-A-C-H-A-T. And it is just wall-to-wall Animal Crossing shit posting <laughs> right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, Great how about timely. you, Joey? Uh, I'm at Joey Weiser on Twitter and Joey Weiser Comics on Instagram. Um, Check out my graphic novels, please. Ghost Hog, uh, which is a self-contained book and the Merman uh, graphic novel series. Um, And check out Toho Yaro on Twitter as well at Toho Yaro, where we post about our upcoming episodes and uh, any sort of cool Japanese news or uh, Japanese movie news and and, uh, any sort of interesting tidbits we find on Twitter about Japanese film and uh, you can like us on Facebook and email us uh, tohoyara at gmail.com and uh, please rate and review and subscribe uh, on your podcast uh, <laughs> application of choice and uh, check us out next week maybe with uh, Torisan's Forget Me Not 1973 yes I love you <laughs> <laughs>